Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And we are finishing up our female killer week. I mean, I am. I'm finishing it up for us. You are. Our women big who kill. Finish. The, the big finale. Yeah, I'm excited because you said this one is old timey. It is old timey because, and I'm surprised that, I'm always surprised when stuff happens in old, the good old days. The good old days. Yes, this, um, this took place in like the early 1900s. So like. I'm just always surprised. I don't know why I think that humans or people were so prim and proper because um, they weren't. They weren't. They're yeah. still humans. They a lot some, of them were d bags, as a matter of fact. For sure, they had some dark shadiness going. White on. White men, for sure, were a bunch of douchers. Oh, I absolutely, mean, I, yes. Yeah, our ancestors. Eh, what are we gonna do? We can't. We're trying. <laughs> Forget to do about better. it. Right. We're trying to do better now. People still have a long freaking way to go with it, though. Mm-hmm. For sure. So today's case is about Irene Schroeder. Have you ever heard of Come On Irene Schroeder? You know, I was thinking I'd heard the name, but I like to make things up in my head too. So oh, I might okay. have made it up. I don't know. Yeah, it was your imaginary friend from childhood. That's <laughs> yeah, probably. God, I hope not. <laughs> your mom. Who are you talking to? Irene, Irene Schroeder. Schroeder. <laughs> that would be the most random thing to hear a five-year-old say. Right. But I, I felt like maybe I heard the name before, but I, I'm, I'm not like sure, sure. So tell me about her. Okay. I will. I'm going to tell you. She was born February 17th, uh, 1909 in Benwood, West Virginia. She was actually born Irene Crawford. Okay. She was the first woman to be executed by the electric chair in Pennsylvania. Oh. And the fourth woman to be executed by the electric chair in the whole of the United States. Wow. She was given several nicknames by the press, including Trigger Woman, Iron Irene. Will you just start calling me that, please? Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Isn't that That's a badass nickname. Irene of the Six Shooters. Animal Woman. Oh. The Blonde Tiger. Yeah, if I was a stripper, <laughs> that'd be the name. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm going for that. For sure. And The Blonde Bandit. Those are her oh, nicknames. she had a variety going oh, on. Oh, yeah. This woman did some things. Sounds like it. So Irene's father was Joseph Crawford, and he had, Joseph had eight living children and seven deceased children. Dang, Joseph. And she, Joseph liked to fuck. Spre- <laughs> Spreading his seed everywhere, far and wide. Everywhere. He was planting it. Yes, he was. He was busy. Absolutely. And she actually, Irene was the youngest. Same Irene. So she was probably a spoiled, rotten little brat. For sure. Same Irene. Okay. <laughs> they were very poor. Well, yeah, because daddy's off doing all the ladies and <laughs> daddy's having the kids. getting busy. Yes. Instead of doing the work, you know. So poor Irene had to begin working at a young age. She did manage to stay in school, though. She, all through 
I think she only missed, I think it said, um, a total of two weeks all the way through the eighth grade. Dang, I'm yeah. impressed. Unfortunately, Irene's mom died when she was eight years old. And so she was sent to live with um, one of her sisters that was an adult and married. I mean, you think when you've got eight, what is eight and seven? Hit me with some math. Fifteen. It is very good. Very good. I have the math skills of about a third grader. So <laughs> I know. Me too. I've been mathed. I can't help it. Too much math. So yeah. So when you're the youngest of 15, you're going to have Holy some cow. elderly siblings. For sure. <laughs> so she had to go live with um, one of her married sisters. And um, then she had to live with another one uh, on, by the name Ruby Schroeder. So when, I know, you're like, Schroeder, that's weird. What's going on? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When Irene was 15, she married Ruby's husband's brother. Oh. Okay, so her brother-in-law's brother. Okay, got it. Okay, so it's like they married brothers. Okay. Sisters marrying brothers. Sisters marrying bros, I got it. Yep, does not, it's totally okay. Sure. Don't get the incest vibes here. That's (laughs) not where we're going with this, this time. Stay tuned for more episodes. (laughs) I mean, you never know when it's going to go there. (laughs) That's right. So, so Irene marries Homer Schroeder. Who? Oh, stop it. <laughs> Homer, I love it. Homer Schroeder, yes. He was significantly older than she was. Ick. You know I'm going to picture Homer Simpson. From you now. have to. He's probably 72 and marrying this 15-year-old. Yes. He is bald with a beer gut, probably burping and farting Without all question. over. Yes. They had a young son named Donnie. And she actually only lived with Homer for a year and a half before leaving and taking their young young son Donnie with her. Oh, so she wasn't. So no, she's like at this point in time, almost seventeen years old. Got a baby and is like, "Peace out, Homer. You You old fat bastard. (laughs) Like take take your old dad bod and get out of here." This is pure speculation, everyone. (laughs) There's no information on Homer Schroeder, but I'm just (laughs) guessing with a name like Homer Schroeder, he doesn't look like Channing Tatum. Yeah, I'm thinking we do not have a Chris Helmsworth on our our hands. We don't. Thor. This isn't Thor. Not talking about Thor. (laughs) Thor. Put that. Hammer away. No, it's not where we're at. Homer Schroeder just doesn't have that, you know, hot, hot guy vibe <laughs> to it. So I'm just picturing her like you, you can't even, it doesn't roll off the tongue nicely in bed, anything. No, no, nothing about it is good. Also, I hope she didn't say the last name too every time. She's, oh, Homer Schroeder. Homer Schroeder. <laughs> It doesn't flow at all. It's hor- just horrible. It's horrible. It really is. Sorry if anyone's out there listening and you're Homer Schroeder. Yeah, really sorry. Consider a name change. I'm sure you're a lovely I person. I'm absolutely. Inside. And I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't find information of whether or not Homer was, if there were issues, why she decided to, to leave him. I'm not she really sure. She must have found him repulsive, though, because back in the day, I'm sure that was not something that you just did. I mean, come on. She's 15 years old. She's forced to marry an older man. I, you know, she, I, I'm sure that wasn't necessarily 100% consensual. Probably not. She went back to living with her sister. Then she moved on and went lived with another brother. 
There are so many, I could give you so many names when you've got that many siblings. I'm trying to keep things simple here. So she was working as a waitress in a Wheeling area restaurant when she met, oh, bear with me, people. Dagway? Dagway. Dagway. A salesman in August 1927. Irene says that she first saw Dagway when she was crossing 16th Street in Wheeling and he almost hit her with his car. This is how I'll meet my soulmate, I think. Like, this would happen to me. True story. My grandparents met by my grandpa stopping at a stoplight in the crosswalk. And my grandma and her friends were being smart asses. And they, because his car was in the crosswalk and they needed to cross the street, she got into the backseat of his vehicle with um, her girlfriends to scoot through the vehicle, just being funny. And that's how they met. That's adorable. And that is why I'm here today because they bumped uglies and then they had my dad and then Uh, my dad met my mom and then they bumped uglies, which actually didn't happen. I was brought by a stork because I can't physically think of my parents doing that. (laughs) And now I'm here. Wow. That's an adorable story. Isn't that such a meet cute? Yes. So I love those stories. Me too. So apparently theirs was like that, except she almost died. Right. (laughs) There was a dark twist to this. (laughs) So she said, quote, I walked on the street and he turned at the corner and stopped and took me to where I was where I was roaming. She said a few days later, he came out to see her again at the restaurant where she worked. They began an affair. Dagway left his wife, Teresa H. Dagway, and their two children, a boy, Delmer, and a girl, Merrill's, for good, for good. On April 6th, 1929. Wow, so he just up and left his family. Sure did. For for Irene. Come on, Irene. Yeah. Literally, that's what he did. (laughs) Come on. He really (laughs) came on Irene. Irene. (laughs) Yep, sorry. It had to be in here somewhere. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. Poor poor other family. Uh, Yeah, his wife, Teresa... Sorry about your luck and your children, Delmer and Merrill. Delmer. Delmer. What is with these names? Oh, no. I just realized their daughter's name was Merrill's. Delmer. Delmer. I love old timey cases because I feel like we can be funnier with them without being insensitive because none of these people are alive anymore. Your names are horrible. Yeah. My God. (laughs) So Dagway and Schroeder began moving around frequently, working odd jobs for money. They sold washing machines in Buffalo. Uh, He pruned trees in Pittsburgh. Not an easy job. You would know. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. He sometimes sold cars. Somewhere along the way, they began robbing gas stations and stores, starting on the path that led them to what happens on Butler Road. Oh, wow. It escalated. They go from odd job to odd job to, you know what? I'm sick of working for the man. It's time to work for myself. And they begin robbing gas stations and stores. I don't think that I actually said this, but Dagway's name, he's referred to as Dagway all the time. His name is Walter Glenn Dagway. Oh, gotcha. Good old Walt. Walt. Walty. And he was an insurance salesman. Not only that. But he was a Sunday school teacher and a Boy Scout leader. Wow, he wore many hats. I just wanted to like throw that in there after we got to know him a little bit more. That this man was a Boy Scout leader, a school, a Sunday school teacher, so a man of God. For sure. And leaves his family <laughs> right. in 1929 
for Irene to yep. come on Irene. Yep. Oh, yeah. wow. The, this man had some, was battling some demons. Well, I will tell you that he did lose his position in the church and also was no longer welcome in the scouts. Okay. So when he made this move, they're like, yeah, no. Yeah. And what everybody said about him is had he not met 20-year-old Irene went by nearly hitting her with his car, he probably never would have strayed from his typical all-American dad life. Wow. Isn't that sad? Look and at what scary. people do for... You know what? From here on out, I'm not into meeting new people. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm taking away from this. Look at what crazy hormones do to people. I know. God damn it. Those young girls. Yep. Keep them away from your... Lock up your <laughs> husbands, girls. <laughs> Hide your husbands. Oh, shit. Here comes 20-year-old Irene. <laughs> so that's So he was pretty much like a stand-up decent yes. guy until 100%. Irene walked across that road. He's got two, you know, two kids, a good job. He's a scout leader. He's an insurance salesman. So what happens is Irene and Mr. Dagway, Walt, if you will, have themselves a little 1930s gang because they also have Walt's brother, Tom Crawford, and Tom Red Wells, an ex-convict that Schroeder and Dagway picked up on the road in New Mexico. Oh, goodness. They're taking in strays. Yeah. So they really like do have a little gang. Everyone's everyone's um named Tom, apparently. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> and I misspoke because um I didn't mean to say that it was Walter's brother. I meant Irene's brother, Tom Crawford. Okay. So gotcha. uh, sorry about that. So we have Irene, we have Walt Dagway her new mans, Mm -hmm. we have her brother, Tom Crawford, and then a dude that they picked up in New Mexico, which just sounds like an awesome story, Tom Red Wells. And Red is in quotations. Like, I don't know, was he angry? I... Did he not tan well? I'm not sure. Was he redheaded? Oh, there we go. We can't tell. So they've got the Toms. Yep. So they've got, we've got two Toms, a, a Walter... And an Irene. And an Ire- Irene and a Clint. And a Clint. <laughs> Perfect. Except we don't have a Clint. Talk but. about a midlife crisis here for Walter. Like, yeah. He was He doing... really went from doing the dad thing to doing the she bad said, boy I, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To doing the damn thing. Doing the damn thing with the 20-year-old. So what happens is they're now responsible for a string of car thefts, arm robberies, several non-fatal shootings. So at least they were non-fatal. Then my next sentence. I apologize because I wrote this episode months ago, like the one on Sunday. My next sentence was, a couple of murders. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little handful of everything, huh? Uh, Oh, and they kidnapped a sheriff's deputy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Their string of crimes happened all throughout Ohio, Pennsylvania, Arizona, West Virginia, and... In Ohio, their guns blazed and their fingers emptied wallets and cash registers. That was a direct quote out of an old-timey newspaper. Wow. Busy fingers. Literally, at this point, they are just wilding all around the United States. And not they had only killed a couple of people at this point in time. It was very sporadically mentioned in these old-timey newspapers, so I couldn't get in-depth information. But they... They weren't trying to kill people. They, If they had to shoot, it was often they were being shot at. 
Okay. And it wasn't that they were trying to kill them. They're really just trying to rob. Gotcha. So That's, they're just trying to get all they can and yes. not looking to actually murder. Correct. Yep. Yep. Their spree began in August 1929, and they were all traveling in a Buick. And this is the part that's going to tick you off, though. Donnie, remember Irene's son, Donnie, that she had with yeah. her first husband? Mm-hmm. He's in the back seat. He's involved. What the He's heck? part of the 1930s gang, everyone. So she just took Donnie along with her. Yes. Through all of this. Yes. Come on, Irene. Exactly. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. I swear. It's so, so true. Not so, cool. Not cool. He's just been in the backseat of this Buick while they're wild and all over the this country. Is ho- this is horrible. I know. How, how old was Donnie? So he's he is really young because he, he was only a year and a half old when she left um, Donnie's dad. So he's, he's a kid. Yes, yes, he's a kid kid. This is sad. They So their first job was September 1st, 1929 in Meadowland Inn in um, Cadiz, Ohio. Okay, we live right next to Ohio. How have I never heard of this place? <laughs> How do you pronounce that? Cadiz? C-A-D-I-Z? Cadiz? Cadiz, I would say. How Cadiz? have I not uh, heard of it? Like, I haven't there either. There are neighbors. That's like having a neighbor that I didn't know lived in the house. Right. Like, what? Okay, so that was their first hit. The job went perfectly with no gunplay, and can, and it was armed robbery, but they didn't have to shoot anybody. They didn't have to shoot anybody. Listen to me. Oh, it was a great that robbery. A successful, clean robbery. We didn't have to shoot anybody. I can't get over this. Like, you never Hold on, to. Donnie. Mommy's going to go rob a For bank. Sure. Yep, I'm going to go Sit rob tight. this gas station. Gas station. They do call them filling stations. We're not dumb. Because this old-timey newspaper right here is quoting it. We I know our history. It's fine. Shit. Shit. <laughs> I know my history. <laughs> Shit. Shit. Oh, God. We are slap happy. It is so late at night, and we worked all day, and we have to work tomorrow. So, sorry, everyone. Um, so, anyway, four days later... They were in um, Moundsville, West Virginia, and that's when they were robbing a diner and a filling station belonging to Jack Cotts. <laughs> not Cox. It's not Cox. I was going to say, could you clarify? In a microphone on someone's car radio right now, it probably sounded like that's what I was saying. Without question. But it is Jack, C-O-T-T-S, Cotts. <laughs> it doesn't matter how I say nope. it. It still sounds like I'm saying cock. It is. I, it, yep. Sorry, it is what it is. I would rather be saying cock, to be honest. That's a cooler name. Jack Cox. <laughs> another so this was another simple small town job. They had seven they got seventy dollars as their haul. No gunplay. But seventy bucks back in nineteen twenty nine. That's a decent nothing amount. Nothing to shake a stick at. Right. I've never understood that expression, but I'll say it. I don't know why we're shaking sticks at anything. What's that doing? <laughs> Here's some wood for you. You know what? <laughs> it's all suddenly making sense. Nope, still doesn't make sense. I have no idea why we do it. I don't either, unless it's like a getting excited. But we'll look it up. <laughs> Erecting some wood. Is that where it came? <laughs> I'm from? I'm excited. Is that why we started calling? Penises wood. Oh, maybe people sh- shook sticks at one another too much. We'll get we'll get when to they the were bottom excited. of this. I we'll want to know. The bottom of this. Should start another podcast on where weird sayings came from. For sure. <laughs> For sure. 
On December 27, 1929, the gang robbed a Kroger's grocery store in Butler. Wow, now that's just really gutsy, I would think. Now, Mr. Kroger was a rarity in those days because he had a telephone and he knew the number of the police. Oh. Not many people had a telephone and not many of them knew the number to the police. Again, so it's 1929. Mr. Kroger was like a big Mr. deal. Mr. Kroger, he didn't get where he's at today by not being a big deal. Right. You're right. So around 1130 a.m. December 27th, 1929, Corporal Brandy Paul, he was 25 of the Pennsylvania Highway Patrol, answered the telephone call that would send him to his death. Sergeant Martin J. Crowley of the Pennsylvania State Police, who was on the other end of the line, would later remember saying, we just had a hold up here and we haven't got so much so much information for the time being, but we believe that we are headed for Newcastle on the Newcastle Road. Will you take care of this right away? So Sergeant Martin J. Crowley called Corporal Brady Paul when that robbery was happening because Mr. Butler called the police on December 27th, 1929, and Martin Crawley, Sergeant Martin Crawley had no idea that he was calling Corporal Brandy Paul to go answer to his death. Oh, wow. Um, Crawley recalls later that Brandy Paul says, Ar-, he says, all right, Sarge, I'll get out there right away. You know, just good old-fashioned policing. Right. Paul and another highway patrolman, Private Ernest C. Moore, also about 25 years old, took Paul's motorcycle and headed east on what's known as the Old Butler Road with more riding in the sidecar. Fucking I picture love it. it. I love it. You know he had the goggles and the leather hat, too. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. God, I love old-timey stuff. Heading toward them on the same highway was a two-door Chevrolet um, coach, which means like station wagon, (laughs) carrying two men, a woman, and a young boy who was standing up in the front of, in the front of his mother, in the front passenger seat. She had Donnie just standing up like between her legs in the front seat while they're hauling ass down Butler Road. Oh my God. Irene, get it together. Uh, I don't think she ever does. No, it does not sound like it. Around 11.15 a.m., Irene Schroeder, her brother Tom Crawford, and her boyfriend, Walter Dagway, had robbed the um, P.H. Butler Company grocery store in, in Butler at gunpoint. That was the Kroger's. While Schroeder's four-year-old son, he's four, that answers oh. that, Donnie waited in the car. Now, Schroeder later said that they had driven up from Wheeling, West Virginia, with no particular plan, and decided to knock off the store on a whim, because that's really just how they're living their lives at this point in time. Schroeder and Dagway, known by his middle name, Glenn, so Walter Walter Glenn Dagway, went by Glenn. Probably after he was, you know, kicked out of the church and the Boy Scouts. Yeah. He couldn't go by Walter anymore. Like, he had to go, go by Glenn. bad boy Glenn. Yeah. Um, so they had bound and gagged the store manager, who was Wish Anger, and an elderly customer, and then emptied their pockets and cleaned out the cash register. So that's how that all went down. It wasn't their first heist, of course, and they had robbed gas stations and stores from Ohio to Tennessee, and they roamed from state to state doing this. 
They were armed with handguns they'd purchased in September in pawn shops um, on the north side of Pittsburgh. And so what happens is the police officers, Paul and Moore, pulled into a farm lane about three miles east of Newcastle and began stopping cars that were heading from Butler. They were armed with their pistols and a vague description of how they were looking for two men and a woman. They had ended up catch, er, stopping about six vehicles without incident, and the last car that they stopped was the uh, Chevrolet station wagon. It was shortly before noon. Paul uh, approached the driver's side window and asked the driver, who was Walter Glenn Dagway, for his license, while his partner Moore walked around to the rear of the car to look at the license plate. Seconds later, Paul bumped into him, backing away from the vehicle with Dagway and Schroeder in it, both had bailed out of the driver's side door and had their guns drawn. I wondered if oh this yeah, is where it was they going. jumped right out of the vehicle. They hit him. They um, they bumped into the police officer Paul with the driver's side door. Both of them like together, all in one fluid motion, and jumped out, guns drawn. Pull your gun, more. He remembered Paul saying, and more ran around the passenger side of the car for cover, reaching for his side or arm, and that's when the shooting start, started. So Tom Crawford was sitting in the back seat, and he's actually the one that shot Officer Moore across the tip of the nose as he was running past oh my the vehicle. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Again, small child in the car. Yep. Dear God. Yep, exactly, this whole time. Officer Moore made it to the front of the car but was pinned down, crouching by the radiator, Um, under fire from Crawford and from Walter Dagway. This man who taught Sunday school is now in a shootout. Yes, exactly. Over a station wagon. My God. And Irene is not winning mom of the year over here. No, Irene. Well, what? I mean, Donnie, she jumped out of the vehicle holding the child right behind Walter, who just bumped into this officer with his uh, car door. This is crazy. Yes. So witnesses from the Baldwin family were watching from their nearby home, ended up testifying that Schroeder continued walking toward Officer Paul, and he had his hands half raised, like he was backing away. Then she fired a shot. His body shuddered, swayed, but didn't fall. Now, Samuel Baldwin was 17 at the time, and he testified that Paul continued to back up after the first shot about 10 feet farther, and Irene Schroeder fired again. After that shot, Paul went to his knees. So he is literally has his hands up. Yeah. So he doesn't have his pistol on him at this point in time, and he's backing away. And she is point blank shooting him with her son right there. Dear God. Baldwin family is watching from their porch. Yeah. This poor, this poor 17 year old Samuel. I mean, can you imagine just being home and like that all just watching this shootout? No. And so after the robbers sped away, George Book, a driver for Lawrence Bottling Works, who had also witnessed the incident because he was driving on the road, helped Paul into his truck and hauled him into town. Doctors at Jameson Memorial Hospital could do very little for Officer Paul. He had been shot three times, once in the left arm, once in the left leg, and once in the abdomen. Um, The fatal shot was through his liver and right kidney. 
He died at 12.55 p.m., about 15 to 20 minutes after he'd arrived at the hospital. Molly Crawl stayed with the young officer in the operating room as he was dying. She ended up testifying that he was in terrible pain, but was able to speak to her as doctors and nurses bustled around them. Here's the quote that's just going to rip your soul from your body, so hang on mm, tight to it. Okay. His quote, tell the boys I did my duty. Tell them I did the best I could. The nurse recalled him saying. Oh. Um, then he said, Molly, you will soon see mother because I am dying. Kiss mother goodbye for me. Oh, my gosh. Like, that's what she, he was saying to... Um, the nurse, Molly Crawl. This poor guy, he was just trying to, you know, do his due diligence Absolutely. as an officer. And, and like scrubs I, are out with the four-year-old. Correct. Robbing Just banks. getting $70 from a oh freaking store. Tell So it like killed me. Tell them I did the best I could. And then you're going to see my mom soon. So kiss my mom goodbye for me. Aww, He's 25 years old. This is so sad. And he did the best he could. He, he really did. did. Absolutely. Now, Officer Moore actually was shot twice in the head because the first one skimmed his nose. Okay, there. so one cut a groove across the tip of his nose and one skimmed off from his skull, knocking him unconscious. He survived. Wow. Yeah. So That's I don't know amazing. if it was like the angle or what, but it did not go through the bones. It just it, it skimmed off from his skull. And yeah, um, and survived miraculously. Witnesses said that Paul appeared to get off only a few shots at the fleeting robber's car. After he uh, regained his feet and took over, or excuse me, and took cover behind a nearby telephone pole. My God, if all that is standing between me and a bullet is a telephone pole. I mean, I'm skinny, but damn, that is scary. I wouldn't stand a chance. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're making those poles hefty. You you would be fine. I I might have a shot. I don't know what they were like in 1929, but... (laughs) Now they make them out of concrete and shit, so it could be better. Uh, Officer Moore testified that he had no memory of even firing his gun. It was sometimes difficult to free from its holster, he said, and by the time he pulled it, he was pinned down by gunfire. This is part of your training, pulling your gun and so on, is it not? Uh, Schroeder's defense attorney, Thomas W. Dickley, asked Moore, and Moore replied, I never had any of it. And so then the defense attorney's like, you never had any training? And Moore said, not in pulling a gun. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine never being trained on how to pull your gun? That is probably how safe Butler was. Right. You know? Right. They probably didn't think they'd ever have to. Right. So next, Schroeder and her companions drove to Newcastle, ditching their bullet-ridden station wagon. Their beaver whacker. They did. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. For a Chrysler that they carjacked from a passing couple. So it must have seemed like a good idea idea at the time, but that would prove to be their undoing. They drove south on Route 18 into Beaver County. Oh, I can't, I'm not lying. How perfect is right? Like you, you can't even see my notes. That's what I love about what you just said. I'm dying. I only wish they still had it driving into Beaver County. but For sure. We can't have it all. We can't. So Beryl Miller was an owner of Miller's Restaurant 
testified that they stopped at her 9th Street business around 5 p.m. and ordered soup for Donnie and about a dozen sandwiches to go. She said she was in a hurry and hurried the child in his eating. Great. You just witnessed a murder and attempted murder. Here's yeah. some soup, kid. Yeah, but hurry up. Yeah. Make it speedy. And soup's not easy to eat quickly. What kind of mother is she? Oh, my God. Not I, a good one. I like how that's what I'm concerned about. <laughs> you made him eat hot soup fast, you monster. How dare you? What's interesting, though, is that Irene and Walter Dagway later deny stopping at that restaurant at all. But, like, she has no motive for making this up, so that was weird to me. Yeah, that is weird. They made their way back to Wheeling around that night around 9 p.m., stashing the stolen Chrysler in a rented garage and driving off in a Pontiac Coupe. Because, you know, they just be stealing vehicles. I'm tired of their antics. Now, this time they do drop Donnie off at, at the home of Irene's father, Joseph Crawford, in Benwood, West Virginia, and left Tom Crawford in downtown Wheeling as well. So they're like, gang, dismember. We're going to leave the four-year-old grandpa. Finally. Grandpappy. And Tom, you, you're you've out. done good, <laughs> yeah. but get out. You're, you're out of here. And that was the last time that they ever saw Tom Crawford. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so the fugitive co- couple heads west because, of course, they do. It just makes sense. Right. Why wouldn't they? If you're on the run, you're going west. West, for sure. Back in Newcastle, investigators were pouring through a lot of evidence left inside the abandoned beaver whacker. <laughs> old, the old faithful beaver. That's right. And they, what they found included several Wheeling newspapers, a receipt from a Wheeling department store, Wheeling, 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 where they just left Tom Crawford. And Donnie, by the way. Right. So they're like, let's go to Wheeling. Something's telling us to head to Wheeling. Right. So the tale of Irene Schroeder's capture, trial, and death was one of the most publicized crimes of its day. Accounts of how authorities were able to identify her kind of differ, but the most probable seems to be that the clerk in the wheeling store remembered her as a regular customer and was able to provide police with her name. So there there were some, a lot of different articles that I'm like, uh, I just don't know that that's really how they identified them. Like it wasn't, it's not like it was in the vehicle or anything like that. So I agree with that. Investigators followed the clerk's information to the Schroeder family in the Wheeling area. They found Donnie at the home of Ray and Ruby Schroeder. 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 Remember, Ruby Schroeder was where she met her first husband. Yes. Because she married um, Ray's brother. Yes, I originally. do remember that. Um, and that was in Bel Air, Ohio. So Grandpappy did take Donnie to Ray and Ruby's house. Gotcha. And left him there, and that's where police found him. And this is what he had to say. Oh, Donnie. Well, four-year-old Donnie do. Says, quote, my mama shot one cop and laid back and laid back of the car groaning. The kids don't lie. The kids don't lie. I like how also she's like, she also laid in the back of the car groaning about it. <laughs> That's literally the quote. My mama shot one cop and laid back and laid back of the car groaning. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Then he carried on to say that Uncle Tom shot another one in the head. He shot right through the windshield. 
this is horrible. This he watched kid. the whole thing. Yes. Kids say the damnedest things, don't <laughs> they? They do. <laughs> oh, this poor little guy. Now, police finally had a name to go with their description of what was called the chunky blonde gun girl. As media had dubbed her. Fucking hilarious. How? Of course we have to mention her body her weight, size. Yes. God damn it, 1929. Do better. Oh, yeah. I, I think in that time it was all about the, you know, womanly figure. Yes, yep. So she's just. So the, we have a fat blonde. Yep, we got a chunky blonde gun girl. <laughs> what a name to be known right? as. I like Iron Irene better. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there was a lot of different things she was called in the press, as I told you from the beginning. But that one I left out it's on purpose. Until, until right now. So for weeks, Schroeder and Dagway led police on a nationwide chase marked by shootouts and narrow escapes. Their, tri- their trail finally ended in what the newspapers glorified as an Old West-style standoff in remote mountains of the oh, Arizona desert. I was wondering if it was going to go down this way. Like, yep. it sounds like a movie I've seen. That is exactly how it how it went down. She was chased from county to county. And they had a standoff. I did find this quote about her. The gun girl Irene Schroeder had been a bandit, had been a bandit since her teenage days, and she was involved in at least eleven murders. One day her gang went into trouble. It came to a bloody two hour standoff with the police. Half naked with her clothes in rags, Irene tried to encourage her encourage her men promising those of them who would survive a wild night with her. She tore the rest of the rags that covered her body off. Being naked, she stood up proudly and yelled, if you survive this, I'll sleep with you tonight. Okay, what if they all survived, Irene? Are you prepared (coughs) to exercise that kind of energy? I believe she would have, for sure. I think so, too. So not only, you guys, did she go out in an Old West-style standoff, in the mountains of Arizona, but she also went out half naked and further ripped more of her clothes off as men are in shootouts with police, like, about to die for her. And she's like, here are my tits. Wow. If you survive this, you can have them tonight. <laughs> that Which, is just... I'm not going to lie. I have a flair for the dramatic. I respect this about her as yeah. well. And I'm not saying that it couldn't come down to the same thing for me someday. <laughs> you know, I have to say, I'm looking at her right now. Um, oh, yeah. I wouldn't look her up. This is what we call chubby. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's 1929. Isn't that horrible? Oh, yeah. my no, God. She's, yeah. She's so skinny. Mm-hmm. I am offended. As we all should be. I weigh 98 pounds and I'm offended because I'm pretty sure they would have called me chubby too. And that is just ridiculous, but she is loving this shit though. Look, Look at, at those her. men surrounding her. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's like, she's I'm in pr- trouble and I don't care. No, she's practically purring in that picture. She is. Mm-hmm. She is. Zero regrets. Yep. Yep. And so I wanted more like intimate details about like how the gunfire and how it went, but it, it was basically... I mean, really, just that police, are, just like it was before. Police are shooting at her. She's got her little Dear gang God. of men. The picture, picture in the electric chair will haunt my dreams. Yes, it is. It's scary. Horrible. <laughs> it's awful. Could you imagine the electric chair in 1929? Oh, my God. It was, it was brand new technology. Mm-hmm. No. 
That means there was probably some quirks. Absolutely. They were still working. I mean, you know, we had to have a soft opening and then work out the kinks. She was part of the kinks. She was only the fourth person to be electrocuted. Oh, that's just bad. Electric chairs in general, they're just so horrible. Mm -hmm. I will never recover from the Green Mile. Mile. I know. With they don't. With the sponge. Like, I cannot watch that. Nope. It is such a horrible part to me. And, like, if that movie is on, I can't. And the realization that that's real. Yeah. It's just, they're just so awful. It is awful. So, at the end of January 1930, they were extradited back to Lawrence County to stand trial for the murder of Brady Paul. Schroeder was tried first beginning on March 12th. The prosecutor paraded 77 witnesses in to build a case against her she was found guilty of first degree murder punishable by death on march 21st so it started march 12th ended march 21st now walter glenn dagway's case began on march 24th and he received the same verdict on march 31st when the trial and subsequent appeals dragged on all the way to the the state supreme court media swarmed around schroeder's young son donnie his name and picture were splashed across practically every newspaper in the county. See, that's not okay. It's not. As the boy who'd effectively signed his own mother's death warrant because he confirmed for them what he saw. Oh my gosh, he was yeah. a child. This yes. actually makes me really upset. This is horrible. According to newspaper reports, he and his grandfather often went to visit to prison to visit Irene Schroeder, including on her 22nd birthday, Six days before her execution. Oh, my gosh. On February 23rd, 1931, Irene Schroeder became the first woman to die in Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania's electric chair. She was the fourth person to be electrocuted, but the first woman woman in Pennsylvania. Uh, I bet that was pretty brutal. I would imagine. She was given first contact at 7.01 a.m. and pronounced dead at 7.05, according to the certificate of her execution. On the form of her occupation was listed as waitress, restaurant waitress. Wouldn't I mean, they, you know could, they couldn't even give her, like, I mean, bandit. give her some, yeah, give her some credits. A chunky gunslinging bandit. <laughs> yes. But she wasn't even chunky. Dagway who was 34, followed close behind. He was pronounced dead at 7.14 a.m. Same day. They did them oh, both. Wow. That, yeah. And his certificate read auto salesman. He was an insurance salesman. Come on. Now. He, they could have put, like, Sunday school teacher or. Boy Scout leader. Yes. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, <clears throat> the four-year-old boy who said his mother killed a policeman spent the rest of his life working to conceal his past, according to two of his children. Don Schrader, a.k.a. Don Schroeder, but he changed his last name. Donnie. I mean, I'm just saying he could have done a little better. I'm not judging. But. Donnie Schroeder, Don Schrader. You got Samsonite. I was way off. Yeah. Like. Maybe we could have done a little bit more of a name change. For sure. But he just went. It's like. It's like, I got nothing. Um, It's like when people put on a hat and they're like, (laughs) all right, I'm in disguise. When Joe goes into disguise on you with the hat. (laughs) Like nobody knows. Baseball cap. No one knows. It's me. Yep. Don (laughs) Schrader. 
No one will ever know. Nope. Now, he grew up shuffled among several relatives, living for a time with his father, Homer, who did remarry. Remember Homer? Homer Homer Schroeder. Yes, he's He changed his name to just Ho Schro, I think. It works. It It works. It flows better. It does. Actually, it really does. (laughs) I'm Ho, Ho Schro. (laughs) It's perfect. It's brilliant. Oh, my heart so, breaks for Donnie, though. It's so sad to me. Me, too. And the papers blasting his face and name so everywhere. Wrong. Shame on all Shame of you. Shame on all of you dead people. Yeah. My gosh. I don't approve. Me neither. So Donnie, you know, Don, Don Schrader. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know who you're talking about I, now. Right. I'm, I know. It's confusing. I'm so it, confused. Don Schrader. Yes. Oh, he served as an Air Force gunner in Korea and was decorated for his service. Uh, he had a daughter named DJ Everett, and he made a career out of the military and took advantage of education programs to study engineering. Eventually, he moved to Florida and worked for NASA on several space oh, missions. Oh, look at him. Isn't that amazing? That's great. Donnie Schroeder, a.k.a. Don Schroeder. <laughs> Putting, Good for you, Don. Putting on some spectacles and a mustache. No one knows it's you. <laughs> I love it, though, that he like worked, made something out of himself. Absolutely. Military man worked for NASA on several space missions. Love it. I love it. Makes I love sense. that for him. Me too. His daughter, Sharon Crater, said one of um, Schrader's children from his second marriage said that for years, her family kept unlisted telephone numbers. She remembers one time that someone asked him about the Schroeder case, and he denied knowing anything about it. Yeah, I would too, for sure. He's like, I'm Don Schrader. I don't know what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. You're thinking of Donnie Schroeder. Yeah. I'm Don Not Schrader. Me. <laughs> I can see how you'd be confused, but two totally different yeah. people. Completely irrelevant. Uh DJ Everett was actually a daughter from his first marriage. She grew up believing that her father was dead, that he had been killed in combat, because that's what her mother and the rest of her family had told her. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because he was away a lot in the military, and I guess they They were just like, he died. Yeah. Her parents married secretly in Cheyenne, Wyoming, um, where both were living at the time. Uh, She said that... Her mother was very close to her family, a large Southern family, and you just didn't do those things. More importantly, my grandfather was the newspaper reader, and she was well aware of his high-profile situation, meaning the Schroeder case. So she was a very strong Southern woman, and she made sure that the whole family uh, sang the same tune. So basically what she is saying is that the family did not talk about what happened to her father. Oh, gotcha. When he was a child. No one, this is not something that we talk about. In that time, I could definitely see, like, you didn't talk about things, so. Yep, and that actually is what caused them to separate and get divorced was the uh, everything behind it, all the drama behind it, because they're just a strong Southern family where we don't have black marks on our family tree. And so they got divorced, and apparently the mom told Everett for a long, excuse me, DJ, her last name's Everett now, that her dad was dead. Wow. Okay. And she never knew the truth until just a few years ago when she was working on a family genealogy and requested Don Schrader's military records. And that's where she put it all together. 
What she received was a three-inch thick envelope full of paperwork from a decades-long career. It was definitely not the paperwork of someone who'd been killed in Germany in the 1940s, as she was told. So she began doing research on the case and on Don Schrader's life. She found out that the legal spelling of the surname of Don's birth certificate, and she found out about Irene and Homer's marriage license, is Schrader, and apparently adopted <laughs> adopted Schroeder at some point for a reason that remains unclear. Um, on Don's birth certificate, it is listed, on Donnie's birth certificate, it is li- listed as Irene and Homer Schrader, because that's what's on their marriage license. Oh, wow. At some point in time, they went by Schroeder, spelled differently. Interesting. So what's interesting is that Donnie Schroeder, who was being blasted through the newspapers, was never his real name to begin with. That's crazy. Which is why he's like, yeah, I'm Don, Don Schrader. Because that's what and my really parents' was. marriage certificate and my birth certificate said. Isn't oh, that a wow. funny twist? It really is. Yes. So through her research, she was able to meet her father and two half-sisters shortly before his death in December 2009. Donnie, Don Schrader died December 2009. Wow. And she was able to meet him just a few he lived months a before. While. Yeah. Um, I just feel like that's not cool what they did to his daughter. Like, oh, he's dead. He died. Because we don't like black NBD. marks. We got a divorce because we couldn't handle his past. And I mean, he was four. It's not his it's fault. It's not his fault. Like, uh, oh my and he's goodness. done, and he's made someone of himself. It, like, it has nothing. Where yeah. he came from has nothing to do with the man he became. Exactly. Like, forget the black. And marks. by the way, let that be a mark for a remembrance for all of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, where you came from has nothing to do with the person you're becoming. So for sure, that's like a success story from mm-hmm. like back in the old timey days. Mm-hmm. So that's so unfair for his daughter that just had no idea. Well, there is a book that she was was working on about her uh, father's experiences, the family history, and she's actually hoping through her research to clear Irene's name or at least give some context for the choices that her grandmother made at such a young age. I was not able to accurately pinpoint what that book was. So if I come across it more confidently than I will uh, because when I was googling her name I couldn't find a book attached to it okay uh, immediately so at the time that I was doing this research so um so I don't know but I would love to read that because I want I do want to know I would like some context for her choices you know I did wonder is this kind of a situation like what we had with our gal that was 14 um oh goodness what was her name from Natural Born Killers, that Natural Born oh. Killers was. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I'm sorry, it's so late at night and names are escaping me right now. Don't at me about my it. My brain has lost some function. I'll think of it at three in the morning. Yeah, you will. I'll come down here and record myself saying it and plug it in. It's fine. No, uh, but, you know, just I do wonder about some of the context of her, of her decisions. But at the same token, I can never, ever, ever justify her doing all this in front of her kid. Never. That's the part that's so upsetting yep. to me. Yep. So... Uh, She said, what was done was a devastating thing for the family. His whole life and then mine were affected by Irene. But then you go back to where Irene started, being raised in the poverty and in that environment. Not that I'm giving excuses, but I want people to know the real Irene. 
It's the understanding of what happened. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess. Right, but. right. And I mean, and she was raised in poverty. Absolutely. What did we say? Her dad had 15 kids. She was the youngest right, of 15. Right, You know, she. that was probably very difficult. But I don't know, man. There are still choices where choices were made. She lit- The gal we were talking about did not fire a gun, was never seen by anyone firing a gun. Irene was right. several times. Involved in upwards of 11 murders. And then, you know, tried to encourage her men to kill police so that they could sleep with her that night. Which Come on, I read. Right, that's what she was saying. That is totally the theme of this. But that's what she's saying. You can come on, Irene, if you kill these police tonight. And it sounds like it worked. Must be. Uh, she wasn't a bad-looking gal. No, Certainly she, she was wasn't. not chunky. No, I, that, that is was ridiculous. very offensive. But, yeah, so that is the case of Irene Schroeder. Wow. I really liked researching that one. I bet. I like the older, like the old-timey mm-hmm. cases. And, and if I get my hands on that book, if it was written, um, then I will do an update <coughs> with that perspective as well. I have to say, the picture of her in the electric chair, though, it's truly sad because she was so young 22 i mean this is how she spent her life doing these things and like it's just sad to see that image of her like she's a and she's child she's super skinny there too i mean i think prison wasn't well to her yeah you know she looks malnourished it's just it's a horrible horrible thing it's really sad but, yes. I mean, I and don't. the first woman to be electrocuted in Pennsylvania and the fourth to be, ex, you know, executed uh, by, elec- yeah, uh, that was, uh, by electric chair in all of the United States. So I you know that, that chair was not up to code. Oh, God. No. Whoever thought of those chairs is just. Wrong. Yeah. yeah. It's just of all the ways that we could go. It's just so brutal. I Yes, but. I agree. That's a me- medieval shit right there. Okay. So, are you ready for a brain bath? I am so ready. All right. I, you know, when we were talking about certificates, yeah, and yeah. names on certificates and all of that, I thought, why not find a brain bath that is appealing to that? How fitting. So here we go. This is also from Newser.com, which our one on Friday. They are I good mean, to Sunday us too. Mm-hmm. Here's the headline: Typo on man's death certificate. He gave away his con. Oh, I'm. I'm listening. (laughs) Long Island's Robert Berger is accused of faking his own death to get out of other charges. (laughs) And here's a copy of the the certificate of death, too. I mean, it sounds reasonable to me. I gotta know what this typo is. Long Island criminal defendant tried faking his death to avoid a jail sentence, but the phony death certificate his lawyer submitted had a glaring spelling error that made it a dead giveaway for fraud. I love it. That's great. That is great. Robert Berger, 25, of Huntington, New York, now faces up to four years in prison if convicted of the alleged scheme. That's in addition to pending sentences for earlier guilty pleas to charges of possession of a stolen Lexus and attempted grand larceny of a truck. Punishment prosecutors say he was looking to avoid, which I bet probably weren't even going to total the four years in prison was, he's now looking at for faking the death I certificate. I was really expecting he was facing some really harsh nope. charges. He stole a car and grand larceny and of he's a like, truck. I got no choice. I yep. got to fake my fake death. Fake my death. We go right to fake my death. 
Oh my goodness. I'm not going to lie. I've had some family events before where I'm like, could I produce a certificate to get out of this? We've all thought about we it. We have. We have. Uh, this is a quote. It will never cease to amaze me the lengths some people will go to avoid being held accountable on criminal char- charges, Nassau County District Attorney Madeline uh, Singes told the AP News. Uh, so he was scheduled to be sentenced to a year in jail on the theft-related charger- charges when he fled the state. He took steps, however, so he was only going to do a year in jail, people. A year. He took steps, however, to convince his then lawyer, prosecutors, and the judge that he'd killed himself, including allegedly using his his fiance to pass along a bogus death certificate. Prosecutors sense said, (laughs) at first glance, Berger's purported death certificate looked like an official document issued by the New Jersey Department of Health's Vital Statistics and Registry Office. Okay, so he did an okay job. At first, just just okay. But there was one big problem. Registry was spelled (laughs) registry. It'll get you every time. It really will. You gotta spell check. You sure do. (laughs) Yep. Literally, his plan was foiled because someone transposed the S in the I in the word registry. One little mistake. It makes all the difference. It sounds like he could have pulled this off if he hadn't had the typo. Well, there were also inconsistencies in the font type and size that (laughs) raised suspicions. Okay, this is just the best. The real New Jersey Health Department confirmed Berger's death certificate was a fake and a public defender took over Berger's case after the lawyer who submitted the suspicious death certificate claimed he'd been used as a pawn. So he's like, I am not used. Yeah, he's like, no, I submitted this death certificate because, you know, the fiance gave it to me. And right. I was representing him in those theft charges. So he thought it was legit. So now he's like, I'm not going to represent him now facing these charges because you used me. Yes. <laughs> I look like a fool now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but I, I, I mean, I, I guess that. I could see like if you're busy and you're just like, OK, yep, he died. So here it is. But yep. he pled he pled he pleaded not guilty to a single count. Of offering a false instrument for filing. Where else did we have the false instrument? Oh, we just had that. That case on um Sunday. Yes. The brain bath on Sunday, a false instrument. It so was. that's it's a document. It's not a dildo. Now you know, we know. We t- <laughs> the more you know. All right. <laughs> You're sure. It'd be cooler if it was, oh but whatever. <laughs> the judge set bail at it at that can't be right. It says a judge set bail at $1, but ordered Berger back to jail due to his underlying cases. His next court date was scheduled for July 27th, This or July 29th. This was 2021. I hope that it was a dollar. It That's cannot hilarious. be. That's got to be a typo, right? I would think so. Because he's looking at some it decent It literally time. says a judge set bail at $1, but ordered Berger back to jail. Due to his underlying cases. So it's like, yeah, here's your bail. Like, Maybe it was some kind of humor in it, like, but you're going back to possible, jail. But you're going back to jail yeah. because of your underlying, your other underlying cases that we still have to rectify, sir. I I love that the font, there was like different fonts. Yes. And it probably <laughs> looked sketchy. in the fonts. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That is just great. Oh, that was gosh. a good one. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. And... 
keep it curious, keep listening. If you want more of us, join our Patreon, crimecurious at patreon.com. You get bonus episodes, all kinds of stuff. Sometimes you get just Charnel episodes if Amber's yeah. sick. Someday yeah. I might be on my deathbed and it'll just be an Amber episode. And that I will happen. do that for you. Yes, I, I knew you would. Yeah. So, all right. Email us case suggestions if you'd like. Rate us, review us, share us, all those good things. If you could, it helps us grow. And until next time, everyone, bye-bye. Bye.